0: The book of galatians has time and again been used by god to begin a deep work in the hearts of his people it has been referred to as the magna carta of the early church the declaration of freedom it would seem that each time god's people lose sight of the gospel of freedom and grace god uses this book of galatians to bring about a renewed excitement a renewed passion for what real christianity is all about jesus plus nothing Let's join our teacher, Ross Gilbert, of Crossways to Life, as we study the book of Galatians to discover what we have been freed from in order to be freed to.
1: Okay. So I hear there is lemonade out there. How is the lemonade? <laughs> Deadly. Deadly. I, I had no idea there's lemonade out there, so it, uh To die for, apparently. Okay, so let's, let's continue on now looking at, at Galatians 3 here. So, what we've seen so far are, are three of the six arguments that Paul's going to make about why it's law, or why it's, uh, sorry, faith, or grace through faith. And not law. Why they're opposite? So we start off with, you know, look at your experience when you started your salvation. How you were persecuted, and then the signs and wonders. I mean, these Judaizers or the Pharisees, did they were, were they able to perform and live these miraculous signs? If they were, then maybe. But no, they weren't. But those that are teaching you, it's all by faith. How did they? How are they their lives? What did they look like? Well, you saw those signs and wonders, and the abuse that we face. It wouldn't make sense for we to go back to the law. It's always been by faith. Why would it stop being by faith now that you're saved? It's always been that way. All the way back, all the, even at the beginning. And with Enoch and with Noah and with Abel and, and with David and Rahab the harlot and Abraham. It's always been by faith. So why would it change now that you're saved? It wouldn't. It's just going to continue on. And then the impossibility of the law. You couldn't do it before. I mean, we're not going to be able to do it now. It makes no sense to return to a system that is impossible to keep. And if you want to do it, guess what? You get cursed with it if you fail at any point in time along the way. So it's an impossible system. But that raises up this issue of the curse. So what's going to happen? Well, the fourth point now is that uh, Christ... Work on the cross has redeemed us from the curse, and that's going to be verses thirteen and fourteen. So what he's going to say here now, so the law is not a faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. But you know what? We've all broken it. So we're all under this curse. So how do we avoid that? Well, Christ, he's redeemed us. He's removed us out from under the curse. This curse that was upon us, this curse that we deserve, the curse that was to come our way. Well, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Now this is a reference back to Deuteronomy chapter 21, I, I think verse 23. Yep, I'm right. That's good. Uh, so verse 23 in Deuteronomy 21, it says that what you're supposed to do is, someone were to commit a really bad crime, break the law, you stone him to death, and then what you do is you then hang him on a tree for all to see. And so you take his dead body and you hang that dead body on the cross or on a tree for all to see. You see, it wasn't the Romans that invented crucifixion. It goes all the way back to Deuteronomy, right? To the time of Moses. And this is what God was saying. What you do is this person is cursed. And because they're cursed, you hang them on a tree. They're not cursed because they're hanging on a tree, they're hanging on a tree because they're cursed. Do you understand that? So you put them on the tree for all to see. So it would be a message to all. It's this billboard sign again. This person is cursed. So what does God do with his son? He hangs him on a tree. Why? So all would see he became the curse. Right? It's the billboard sign again that all might know, all would see that he's become a curse. Now what does that mean? Well, turn your Bibles to, to 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5, and read in verse 21. Here, it's going to talk about what God's done, right? In verse, verse 19, saying that he, he has reconciled the world unto Himself, not counting the trespasses against Him. Because wh- where was He? He was in Christ. He was doing all this. And so in verse 21 now, it says, Now God, He made Him, speaking of Jesus, to, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf. Now, what does that mean? Well, imagine I had two glasses up here. One glass is pure, pure water, pure H2O. It is nothing but water. It is pure, it is clean, it is is crisp, it is wonderful, right? It gives life, because if you drink water, you find life, right? In my other hand, though, is poison. It is just arsenic, right? It is complete death. There is nothing else but arsenic in this glass. One is life, one is death. One knows no sin, one is sin. Right Now, what would happen if I pour the arsenic into the pure H2O? Just, just a little bit. What happens to the water? It becomes arsenic. It becomes poison. It becomes death. Well, you see, Jesus, who knew no sin, and us, who were sin. So what does God do? He pours you. He baptizes you. He places you into Him. Right? But not only that, Romans 6 3 says, Or do you not know that when God puts you into Christ, He also placed you into His death? So He took that poison glass, where is Christ and me, who's become sin on our behalf. And what did God do with that poison glass of water? He crucifies it and buries it. He pours it on the ground. He gets rid of it. It's gone. Why? So that we might become forgiven? Is that what it says? we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That we might be acceptable. That we would be the, have the acceptance of God. That we would be righteous. That we would be justified. That we would be freed. Have that freedom of God. And this is what Jesus did on the cross. So he's redeemed us from the curse of the law. So the curse has no bearing. The law has no power over us anymore. Verse 14, in order that in Christ Jesus. It's not in order that by the works of the law. It's not in order by how hard you work and how hard you strive. No, but in order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. This blessing of Abraham is referring to that covenant that Abraham had back in, in, in Genesis 15. And we're going to look at that in a lot more detail in just one second here. That's what verse 15 onwards is going to talk about that the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Right? Again, it's this idea. It's by faith over and over and over again. Right? Does that make sense? All right. I want to play a clip for you here. And and in a moment, if you can grab the lights, Jacqueline. I'm going to play a clip, and it's from the movie uh, Les Miserables. How many people have seen the play or seen the movie? I've just seen the movie, so I'm really uncultured. But, but uh, there's an interesting scene at the beginning with a guy named Jean Valjean. I just like that name for some reason, right? <laughs> Jean Valjean. He is this man who's been in prison for 19 years, and he's now been released. But in that day, what they do is they give you your passport, this yellow piece of paper, which was akin basically to saying, um, don't hire me. Don't talk to me, have nothing to do with me, because I am a convicted criminal right? It's the scarlet letter sort of idea. And so who's going to want to invite this guy into his house? And so he's sleeping on a park bench and he's feeling really miserable and, and he's really down. And, and you're, it's going to be interesting to see because he has this encounter now with the, with the bishop or, or a father or a priest of some sort. And, and it's going to be an interesting to see what happens between these two, but what he thinks about himself. So why don't we go ahead and, and just t- uh, watch this video.
0: Can't sleep
2: here. Get away from me. Why don't you go to an inn? What do you think? Did you knock
0: on doors and ask people?
2: I asked. I asked everywhere. Leave me alone.
0: You didn't ask there. Knock on that door.
3: Who can that
2: be? Do you have any food you can spare for me? Come in. Look, I'm a convict. My name is Jean Valjean. I've served 19 years hard labor. They let me out four days ago. I'm on parole. I have to go all the way to Dijon to report by Monday or they'll send me back to prison. So here's my passport. I can't read, but I know what it says. He's very dangerous.
3: Monsieur, you're welcome to eat with us as my guest. I'm a
2: convict. You saw my passport. I know who you are. You're... you're gonna let me inside your house. What crime
3: did you commit?
2: Maybe I killed someone. How do you know I'm not going to murder you?
3: How do you know I'm not going to murder you? What's that? A joke? I suppose we'll have to trust each other.
2: I didn't kill anyone. I'm a thief. I stole food. I stole, but I paid for it, 19 years in chains. So they let me out and they give me a yellow passport. What can I do with the yellow passport? I have to go to my parole officer in Dijon, and then what, starve to death? (laughs) 19 years, and now the real punishment
3: begins. (laughs) Man can be unjust.
2: Man, not God. All right, whoever you are, thank you meal and a bed to sleep in, a real bed. And in the morning, I'll be a new man.
3: anybody there
2: You're really letting me go? Didn't you understand the bishop?
3: Madame know, offer these men some wine. They must be thirsty. Thank you. And don't forget. Don't ever forget.
1: Do you see what God did there? Right? Here's Jean Valjean. Sorry. It's all mixed up. Jean Valjean. And, And here he is. He's a prisoner. He's in bondage. And under the law, so are we. We're in bondage. We're under that pressure. But what does this priest do? He says, I bought your soul. I have ransomed you. I have redeemed you. I have rescued you. You're no longer under law. Is that because Jean Valjean is such a nice guy? Oh, he knocked him out the night before. Right? It wasn't by his works. Right? But by grace. And that's what God has done. He's redeemed us. He's rescued us so that the promise would be by faith. Right? We'd receive the promise by faith, not by works. Right? Glorious what this salvation is. That God's given to us. Right? Now, He's raised up this issue of the blessing of Abraham. And and the number the number five argument here, the fifth argument, is gonna be that the new covenant is really the old. It's really older than the Mosaic Covenant. See, what's he going to do here now? He says, now, brethren, I speak in terms of human relations. He's going he's to introduce this argument here with, with an illustration, with a story, right? So, brethren, I speak in terms of human relations, even though it's only a man's covenant, yet when it's been ratified, no one sets it aside or has conditions to it. Now, imagine um, I, I went and I bought a house from a guy. Right, and it's a nice house, two car garage looks like, which you know would be really nice than my one car I have, and looks like it you know could could handle four little girls, and so it should be okay. So I go and I buy a new house, and I move in, and, and we settle in, and, and we unpack, and you know it probably take about 430 days, a year and a bit, to finally unpack and get settled into our house. When all of a sudden we get a knock on the door, uh, and I go and open the door, and lo and behold, it's the previous owner, the guy who used to to, to have the house, and he says, you know. I was thinking, I really miss having a two-car garage. Um, what, if, what if I keep one of the garages? You know, I'll just keep some storage, stuff here, some tools, I'll come by and use it as a workshop whenever I want. But, but what if I get one of the garages still? What am I going to say? <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> right? No, no. We, we made this agreement 430 days ago. right? That agreement's done. It's finished. It's put into place. All right. Well, can I have my house back then? And he just puts his hand. Can I have the keys? Let's, can, can I have it? Can I have my house back? What am I going to say? No way. no way. Not on your life. There's no chance, right? Because the covenant, the covenant, the agreement has been signed. We've entered into it. It's been ratified, filed with the, the city. It's done. It's finished. There's no way that I'm going back on it. Well, that same idea is what Paul is talking about here. So, you know, in, even in a man's covenant... Now, what do you mean by man's covenant? You know, it's shady, right? It's still breakable and it some, with some people. Yet, yeah, when it's been ratified, no one sets size or has conditions to it. It's, it's not going to happen. Well, now, the promises... Now, this word promises, it's going to appear time and time again in the next few verses. It really is referring to the covenant. So, wherever you see the word promises... Think covenant. Think Abrahamic covenant. That's the idea here that, that Paul's going to be talking about. Now, the promises, the Abrahamic covenant, were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Now, it's, it's in Genesis 15 and then again in verse seven, chapter 17 where this, this promise is made. And, and sadly, the translators, they've used the word descendants here when they should have just said, you seed, because Paul's going to make a point here. He does not say, and to seeds, I mean, if there's ever been an example of studying every single word and, and, and the nuances of the words, here it is. Because look what Paul's doing. He's saying, the word of God, spoken thousands of years earlier, knew what he was talking about. Because he does not say seeds as to referring to many, but rather to one and to your seed. Who is that? Christ. So all the way back in Genesis 15, he's talking about I mean, you can make the argument that goes all the way back to Genesis 3 because he says to the woman, and your seed, right? There it is again, right? But here it is in Genesis 15. So let's take a look at the covenant in Genesis chapter 15 because there's something uh, really interesting, I think really cool in this covenant here that that God makes with them. So Genesis 15 verse 1, um, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Do not fear, Abram. I am your shield to you. Your reward will be very great. Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me since I'm childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. I've tried Lot. That didn't work. I've tried Eliezer. Now that's not going to work. I had to get rid of him. What's it? I mean, or I have him right now. What, what can you give me? I, I want a child. Um, and Abram said, Since you have given me no offspring, one born in my house is my heir. That's speaking of Eliezer. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. Who's he talking about? Isaac, right? Well, uh, eventually, but I think he's really starting to think about Jesus. That's where he's going towards, right? And he took him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars, and if, you're able, if you're able to count them. And he said to them, so shall your descendants be. Then he believed the Lord, and it was reckoned unto him as righteousness. That's what Paul was talking about earlier. It was reckoned unto him as righteousness. right? And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of the Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. And he said, O Lord God, how may I, may I know that I will possess it? So God's made the promise. Now I am saying, how will I know? So look what God does. He says, okay. Bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, and a three-year-old ram, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. What God does is God goes the step to say, I will enter into covenant with you. (coughs) That's amazing. God says, I've promised it to you, Abraham. That should be enough, Abraham. Right? I've said it. That should be enough. But no, he says, but you know what? I'm going to go into a covenant with you to verify the promise that I've made to you, to give you that assurance, Abraham, that you know, that you know, that you know, because I'll never break my covenant. I'll never break my word. So here it is. Go grab some animals, right? You see, in that day, they didn't just sign a contract. What they would do is they would do a cut up. (laughs) They would get these animals and they would cut them in two, cut them in half, and they would basically make a path. And in some traditions, what they would do is they would lay out a path that would walk into a figure eight or a circle right? Now, what's the figure eight sideways mean? Affinity. Affinity, right? Or even a circle means it's endless, no beginning and no end. So what's God doing by, you know, or what was the sign of this covenant? His covenant never ends, right? And so they take the animals and they cut them in two, all kinds of blood everywhere. In fact, it was so bad, these vultures came to kind of pick at it, and Abraham had to shoo them away. But what they're saying when they do it, when you would sign a covenant like this or agree to a covenant like this, is you're saying, let this happen to me if I break it. Let me be like these cut-up animals if I break my word, if I break my end, of the, my, my end of the bargain, my end of the covenant, right? And so they would walk the path, and that's what they would say. Let this be to me if I break the terms of our covenant. So it's all set up, right? Abraham goes and does it, chooses ways of altars, and it's now nighttime, and it's ready for the covenant, right? So let's see what happens now. And in verse... Um, Verse 12, Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, terror and great tar- darkness <laughs> fell upon him. And God said to Abram, Know for certain, no doubt, that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed for a hundred years. So he's predicting about the enslavery, what's going to happen in Egypt. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterward they will come out with many possessions. And as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You will be buried in a good old age. Then in the fourth generation they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. And it came about when the sun had set that it was very dark, and behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch, which passed between these pieces. So look what happens. It's time for the covenant. It's time to walk down this pathway of of bloody animals to agree to the covenant between God and Abraham. And what does God cause to happen to Abraham? Falls asleep. Abraham is not going to walk this covenant. But now, all of a sudden, a flaming torch and a smoking oven appears. I think that's God and Jesus. Right? Right? Here's God and Jesus. The the flaming torch, that's the light of the world. That's Jesus. And they show up together, and they walk the covenant together. So who's the covenant made to? Between God and Jesus, right? To the seed, right? So the covenant, this is the cool part, the covenant that God makes, the Abrahamic covenant, is between God the Father and God the Son. That I'm going to save these people that I'm going to have these great descendants. I'm going to have this wonderful family of many, many nations. Abraham, I've promised it to you, but you have no part to play in the covenant. You have no end to it. There are no terms by which you must fulfill. All that responsibility lies with who? God the Father and God the Son. I promise it to you, Abraham. I've sworn by my oath. I've sworn into a covenant, but it's between me and Jesus to fill it out, to complete it. You get the benefit from it, but you don't have to walk this path, right? That's the covenant that God gave to Abraham. Then 430 years later comes the Mosaic covenant. So does that Mosaic covenant then nullify what God promised Abraham? Does it change it in any way? No. That would be like if 430 days later the guy says, I want half the house back or I want more money. Well, just give me the house. That covenant's no longer, that agreement's out out to lunch now. No. The Mosaic covenant had no impact on the Abrahamic covenant. But you see, the Abrahamic covenant was waiting until Jesus died. Turn to Hebrews chapter (laughs) 9. Hebrews chapter 9. I appreciate you jumping all over the place with me here. But, but this, this blows my mind when I saw this. So Hebrews chapter 9. Um, okay. Verse 15. For this reason, Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant, so that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, now that's referring to the Mosaic covenant, for those who have been called may we see the promise of the eternal inheritance. For where a covenant is, or your, your Bible might say where it, uh, a will is, right? It's the same word, will, a covenant. Uh, where a will is, there is the necessity be there, there must be of necessity be the death of the one who made it. Think about it. If I go and I write a will for my family, what needs to happen before that will comes into, into, uh, into action, into effect? I've got to die. But as long as I'm alive, that will is waiting there. It's waiting till I die, and the moment I die, it comes into action. But until then, nothing. So what's got to happen here? There must be a death of the one who made it. For a covenant or the will is valid only when men are dead. For it is never in force while the one who made it lives. So this covenant that God made with Abraham is just on the shelf waiting. 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 For almost 2,000 years until who shows up? Jesus. And then dies on a cross. And guess what happens at that cross? The covenant takes into effect. So the new covenant began at Calvary. It doesn't begin Matthew 1.1, 1, 1, right? So if in your Bible on Matthew 1.1, 1, 1, turn back a page, it says New Testament, that's wrong, right? New Testament begins either, you know, Matthew 27 or Mark 16 or whatever you want to do. I don't know how you can maybe photocopy it and slip it in a few different places. But the New Testament, the new covenant begins at the cross, Therefore, the first uh, or so but it's never enforced while the one who made it live, so that's when it comes into effect this new covenant, but the new covenant really is the Abrahamic covenant, so the new is really the old. it predates the Mosaic covenant. Does that make sense right so um, brethren, I speak in terms. Oh, sorry. So now the promises are spoken to Abraham and to his seed. It does not say to seeds as referring to many, but rather to the one and to your seed that is Christ. So what I'm saying is this the law, which came 430 year late, 30 years later, does not invalidate a covenant previously ratified by God so as to nullify the promise, the covenant, the agreement between God and Abraham, but also between God and Abraham's seed, singular, speaking of Jesus. For if the inheritance is based on law, then it's no longer based on a promise. But God has granted it to Abraham by means of a promise. Here's the significance. If, if our inheritance, if our righteousness is life, if it's based on law, who broke the covenant? God did. And God will never break a covenant. So what we're doing is if we're trying to make this about law, we're breaking God's covenant. Or we're making God into a covenant breaker, I should say. And God's not breaking the covenant because it was between what he had given as, a, as to Abraham but also to, uh, to Jesus. So, why the law? Right? And so Paul's going to do a, a little bit of a side trip before he gets to, to argument number six. So why the law then? Well... That's a legitimate question. That's a question you had earlier. Why would he give the law? I mean, if the first covenant with Abraham was the deal, why 430 years later does this law show up? Well, it was added because of transgressions. Meaning, it was added to define sin. You see, here's the danger. After the fall, man ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He now is like God, knowing good from evil right? Our conscience has been, has been seared. We know what's right and what's wrong. I mean, even uh, think about Cain and Abel, right? Cain goes and murders Abel, and God shows up and says, Cain, where is your brother Abel? And what does Cain say? I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Plays dumb, right? I mean, who does he think he's talking to, right? Why is he hiding this? Because he you know what he did is wrong, right? It wasn't a slow descent into immorality. No, they jumped off the cliff, right? Day one, murder, right, right from the get-go. And he even knew it was wrong, right? They knew adultery was wrong. They knew lying and stealing was wrong. They didn't need the law to tell that. They already knew it, but here's the danger. We justify it, right? We argue it out and say, well, you know, it's not that bad. Well, you know, there's under certain conditions. Well, it's okay if this, this, and this. And so we justify, we rationalize, we defend. It's not really that bad. Or there's some that are worse than others. And so God adds the law and says, okay, let's put it in writing. Let's make it clear. In fact, we're going to put it in stone so you can't erase it. It is very clear. This is what is sin. This is what's wrong. This is what's evil. And he defines what it means, what sin is, by giving us the law. Right? Murder, that's wrong. Lying, that's wrong, right? So Paul, that's what he says in Romans 7, 5. He says, is the law sin? May it never be, God forbid. But I would not have known what sin was until the law said, do not covet. Oh, so coveting's wrong. But just some coveting? Oh, no, all coveting. Right? Because that's okay. Maybe if there's some coveting that's okay. You know, if you covet after someone else's camel, that's okay, but if you covet after their tunic, that's not okay, right? And and but no, it's all coveting it is wrong. And that's what Paul came to realize through the law. Yes. So you said that before the law they knew what they were doing was wrong. And they said they knew. Oh yeah. Not because the Spirit of God in them, but because their conscience had been seared. Because Adam and Eve ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And our conscience knew what was right and what was wrong. Right? Think about even kids, right? When kids are lying. Yeah. D- I mean, they're just... Um, yeah. Uh, how do they know, right? They know. They know. Well, yeah, they've just ignored their conscience. That's all. They've, they've shut it down. But, um, But... Yeah, so, so here it was, the law was added because of transgression to, to define what sin is. And this was ordained by angels to the agency of a mediator. That was through Moses, right? Moses was the one that brought it until the seed, who's the seed, would come. Now, here's the key word. Until. The law was always meant to be temporary. The law was never meant to be around forever and ever, ever Now listen, Jesus said, I have not come to abolish the law. The law will remain and will not pass in this age or even the age to come. Not a single letter, right? But it's temporary for us until when? <clears throat> until we find Jesus. And then it's done. It's done its job, right? <clears throat> so that would come to, so until the seed would come to womb. the promise that covenant had been made. But now a mediator is not for one party only, whereas God is only one. The covenant was between God and Jesus. There was no mediator between them, right? There was no Moses between God and Jesus, between that covenant. So verse 21, is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Is it against what that covenant? Remember that word promise is referring to covenant. Is the law now fighting against, or is it another option? Is there, is there something about that these, these are two systems? Maybe if I did the law thing, I'd be okay, or conversely, I could also do the, the saved by faith thing. It doesn't really matter. Well, may it never be. For if a law had been given which is able to impart life, then the righteousness would have indeed be based on that law. If it were possible for us to find life, to be acceptable, to be justified, to be righteous by following the law, guess what would have been expected of you and I? There would have been no Jesus dying on the cross. It would have been suck it up, get going, keep working, right? Work harder, strive more. If it were possible, then Jesus would not have died. And yeah, it would have been by law, but it's impossible. It simply isn't possible. But what scripture has done is shut up. Right? It has shut everyone under sin. I love that. But I haven't. Shut up. <laughs> you have sinned. You have sinned. Right? So the first thing the law was meant to do was define sin. And then the second thing is to shut everyone under it. To expose in everyone's heart that they had sinned. Right? You, if, I don't think that's the case with you guys. But if, suppose you walked in today thinking, you know what? I'm doing okay. I don't think I've broken any law. And you sat down, and then I say, okay, everyone raise your hand. Have you ever had a negative, mean, lustful, angry thought against another person? Oh, man. I guess I'm guilty. Right? And that's what Paul's going to talk about. I mean, Romans 3, he says, there are none that are righteous, none that are good. There is no one that seeks after God. I mean, he, the law has shut man up under sin. He's put man. The law has put man under bondage. You are guilty. You are cursed. That's what the law was meant to do. So that the promise would be by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe, right? Put their faith. Now, that means faith is now 16 to 15, by the to the law, right? If you, I believe in there. So now, it's to shut up everyone under sin so they could not be made righteous by the works of the law. So they'd have to find it another way, right? So one, tell, define us what sin is, but two, then expose that sin in us, right? Would reveal that sin in us, Right? But before faith came, we were kept in custody under law. We were locked up under, in prison to the law, being shut up to the faith, which was later to be revealed. We couldn't do it because the faith hadn't shown up yet. But therefore, the law has become our tutor. Now, let's understand this word tutor here. The word tutor, or another translation uses child guide or a teacher. Uh, the Greek word for that is... Uh, oh, I had it in my... I could say I was practicing all day. Um, Pythagoras. I didn't say that right. Pythagoras. Uh, spell it this way: P-A-I-D-A-G-O-G-O-S with a funny O, right? I can spell it. I just can't say it, <laughs> which means a lot for me because I normally can't even spell. So, Pythagoras. That's what it is. Pythagoras, right? So this word here is Pythagoras for tutor, and a Pythagoras really is more like a governess than a teacher. You see, what a governess would do is the governess would take the, the, the child to school, but they would never actually teach. The job of the governess was never to teach. They would take them to the teacher, and the teacher would teach, but the governess was there to make sure they did their homework. And, you know, in a lot of pictures and illustrations of these paidagogos, they basically would have a little stick in their hand. And so they'd be obviously often just beating their, 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 their kids that they were given charge to. Now, the rich person would hire the Piedagogos to do this. And so would be like, whack, get your homework done. Whack, clean up your room. Whack, stop laughing and playing games. Whack, get back to work. And they're there just, just beating them, just smacking them on, the, on their hand, on the leg, on the butt, just getting them to move. They're keeping them in line. They're keeping them in check. Are they teaching them anything? No, not at all to just get in line, get in line, get in line. So that's what the law is to us. It's not our teacher. The law doesn't teach us anything about how to live. And remember, that's the argument that they're trying to make here in Galatia, that you need the law to teach you to live. No, the law is not our teacher. It's our paidagagos. It's our child guide. It's our governess. It's the one that beats us, Right? Lead us where? To Christ. He's the teacher. He's the one. So that we may be justified by faith. We may be made righteous by faith. But now that faith has come, now that we have faith, we're no longer under the tutor. Right? We're no longer under that tutor. We're no longer under the pedagogos. We don't need it right? We grow up. We mature. Now we've got Jesus. We've got something better than our pedagogos. We've got something better than the law. Okay, we're not going to get to the sixth argument, so let's kind of wrap this up then. Turn in your Bible to Colossians chapter (laughs) 2. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 6. So Paul has been, been, been hammering away at these people. It's not by law. You're not saved by law, nor do you live by law. You're saved by grace through faith. Now live by grace through faith. These two systems are opposite. It's not law and grace. It's law or grace. Which one are you under, Right? So here's what I want to, to, Colossians 2, verse 6, I think is a great verse to apply what we've been talking about here. He begins off, by says, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus as Lord. And what we've been talking about, how did you and I receive Christ Jesus as Lord? How were you and I saved? By grace through faith, right? Or, you know, by faith could work too, because I'm fully assured that what God has promised, he's also able to perform. That's grace, right? God did it. God's enabling His power. He's able to do it. So I'm saved by grace through faith. So continue to walk in Him. So continue to live in Him in the same way. If you're saved by grace through faith, then live in Him. How? By grace through faith. Not the law, not by rules, but by trusting and depending upon Him. Look to Him. Uh, we're going to see it in a couple weeks. Galatians 5, verse 25, one of the great verses in this book. If we live by the Spirit, let us walk by the Spirit, right? So we continue to trust in Him. Jesus, you're in me to live your life through me. And it goes back to, again, the verse we start off with tonight, Galatians two 20. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ now lives in me. The life I live, I live by faith, being fully assured what God has promised, to live his life through me, he's also able to do it. And I put my faith in the one who loved me and gave himself up for me. I'm a new man now with God living in us. And the challenge for us now is to continue to walk by faith. Continue to trust him to manifest and reveal his life through us. Amen. Amen. All right. Any questions? Comments? Protests? All right. Word of thanks. Yeah. Thank you. Let's, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and glory for what you have done. Father, every time we go to study how wonderful our salvation is, we discover it's more wonderful than we knew. That this has been something you've planned for thousands of years. That this covenant goes and even predates the Mosaic one. That is a covenant that you made before Abraham to Abraham's seed, your son. It's one that you made with yourself. One that you promised to fulfill yourself. One that you have fulfilled yourself. Mm -hmm. By which we can enter in by faith. And I pray, Father, that you would reveal to us and show to us now that if we're saved by faith, let us walk and live by faith, trusting in you, seeing you manifest your life through us. So, Father, we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: This message was recorded by Crossways to Life. It is the desire of Crossways to Life to know Jesus deeper and disciple Christians to experience life in Him through the message of the cross. For more information about our ministry, upcoming courses and events, or how to contact us, please visit our website at www.crosswaystolife.org.